0: The 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics are upon us and have attracted much attention due to the international criticism of recent actions by the Chinese government. These actions include the discrimination against the Uyghur and Tibetan populations, accusations of sexual assault involving Chinese female tennis star Peng Shui, and the crackdown on democratic protests in Hong Kong have led to calls from certain activists and nations to boycott the Winter Olympics. Therefore, it is important now more than ever to learn what the situation right now in Beijing is. As the olympics continue and what is the international reaction to the current situation from seton hall university at the school of diplomacy and international relations this is the global current i'm your host drew starbuck <music> with me today are two fellow Seton hall students Covering the domestic situation in China is Mariam Ali. Hi Mariam. Hi. Nice to have you here. And focusing on the international reactions to the Olympics is Christopher Benitos Cortez. Hi Christopher.
1: Hi Drew, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for have, being on. All right, so let's get right into it on the background and preparation for the Olympics. Mariam, we'll go to you first. Uh, what is the reaction right now amongst the Chinese population to hosting the Winter Olympics?
2: So a lot of the reaction with the Chinese population regarding like hosting the Winter Olympics in Beijing has um, caused like a lot of global outcry, not because of the domestic situation that's been happening with China basically putting a widespread mandate for national lockdowns. Also, China has like taken the initiative to put a widespread censorship over media outlets and china has taken the extreme preparation measures of building a network of pipelines to feed snow machines and since china has spent over like 4 billion dollars on olympic preparations alone and china has faced so many economic setbacks because of the covid-19 pandemic the domestic politics has been suffering cuz people believe that the Ch- like the chinese government is not taking the initiative to put them first
0: yeah you mentioned The COVID-19 pandemic, do you think that's part of the reason these such strict mandates are in place or what is really what is the Chinese government's goal here?
2: So even though the Chinese government has stated that they've been putting lockdowns because of the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a lot of conspiracies around it, basically saying that the Chinese government is taking such like widespread initiatives and putting like certain authoritative like mandates because they want to limit the idea of like activism happening during the Olympics or even like criticism in general. So that's like the kind of excuse they've been using in a way. And that's also been causing like a lot of outcry with its people, because there's uh, been a lot of protests for Hong Kong. And then there's also protests with like the Uyghur and the Tibetan populations. So like that's kind of like the situation that's been going on.
0: So using the their position as power of hosting the Winter Olympics to crack down on any like uh, opposition towards the government or any free speech going on there. So I'll go on to the next question. I'll open this both to you, Christopher, and you, Miriam. How is the management of this Olympics going to be a reflection on the leadership in the Chinese government, particularly like Chinese President Xi Jinping, for example?
2: Okay, so something really interesting about the leadership in the Chinese government when it comes to the president is just that he's taken such like authoritative tactics to limit kind of like the amount of criticism that could happen during the Olympics. And in doing that, it kind of just shows how like important it is view like in view to him because he's one of the few world leaders that really like takes initiative to be involved in preparations it's been reported in a way that he's kind of like gone into like the athletes rooms seeing how it is and then he's also like advised on decorations he's kind of said that there has to be like more chinese elements or like there's instructions for the organization committees and he's basically also quoted that the world is ch- like turning its eyes to china and china's ready so he- I think he, like, views it as a direct demonstration of China's power.
0: Yep, a way to assert themselves on the global stage. What is, what do you think about this, Chris?
1: Well, I think that Miriam is, is right on this term, right on, on this topic, to very loosely quote Jing Tzu, a literary scholar and cultural historian at Yale University, as she said during her, um, during the broadcast, NBC, during the NBC broadcast of the opening ceremony, the Chinese people don't have much to celebrate right now. They've been in the middle of lockdowns. And what it seems to be is that the Chinese government is looking for a source of celebration, a source of keeping the spirits up among the Chinese people.
0: That's a interesting take on that, Chris. Also looking at just internationally, what has been like the international government's uh, reaction to the Chinese government hosting the Olympics, particularly um more focusing on the United States, an example, because we know President Biden has forgotten he is not allowing an official U.S. delegation to these Winter Olympics. So what is the perspective there?
1: Well, there has been calls for a athletic boycott similar to those in 1980 and 1984 uh, with the Soviet Union. However, it has been seen since how this affects the athletes and their ability to to work to survive. If they don't go to these major events they don't get any sponsorship deals so the next best thing would be the diplomatic boycott which is what they've taken no officials are being allowed from boycotting countries these include the uk australia canada india among others and in the us in particular there has been much talk about it in the run-up to the games there has been a bipartisan deal in congress denouncing the chinese actions in xinjiang as a genocide So we can tell that many Western governments and definitely the U.S. government can't really get back, can't really get behind China hosting the games in these circumstances.
0: I see. So we got a kind of a look and a view into how a lot of the nation states are reacting to that, particularly Western nations. What has been the specific reaction, Christopher, amongst activists and human rights groups specifically?
1: Well, there have been... of outcries from different angles from from the different victims of Chinese oppression and towards the different angles of the Olympic Games in particular Uh, we can start off uh, with Nuri Turko. he is a lawyer and human rights activist and a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and he is on the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom he tweeted a couple of days ago that this is the 1936 Olympics happening all over again alluding of course to those infamous uh, winter and summer back-to-back games in karmisch patenkirchen and berlin held in nazi germany under the third reich and he is also the former president of the uyghur american association the current president Kuza altai who's a businessman and, and an activist has also been on twitter commenting about these games he tweeted matter of fact yesterday that Procter and Gamble and Coca-Cola and other Western companies sponsoring the Olympics should really be put to shame since they are turning a blind eye to China and at the same time, furthering progressive causes like the Voting Rights Act in Georgia a couple of um, a couple of not several months ago and so on. From the Chinese point of view, there are two in partic- two activists in particular that have really been speaking up. One is Tang Biao. He is a lawyer and academic activist and scholar. He is currently a visiting scholar at Harvard Law School. And to quote him, the CCP's purpose is to exactly turn the sports arena into a stage for political legitimacy and a tool to whitewash all of these atrocities. Joining him is Hu Jia. He is a democracy and HIV awareness activist. And he was called a prisoner of conscience by Amnesty International. He was visited many times by the police after criticizing crackdowns by the Chinese government on anti-Olympic protesters. And, and of course, someone who is a bit more well-known in the entertainment circle is Enes Kanter Freedom. He is a Turkish-American NBA player who has been increasingly critical of China. He has condemned China numerous times. He has even worn shoes sprayed with anti-Chinese government messages onto the court. And he's openly opposed to these games, so much so that he also recently tweeted... An image of former Chinese basketballer Yao Ming with the torch captioned, Torch of Shame.
0: And Ines Kanter, he originally did not have freedom as part of his name, but changed his citizenship in his name when doing that uh, for a specific purpose. And he is not backing down at all. So we've kind of talked and a little bit danced around the issue, but I wanted to ask you both specifically that do you think the Olympics is allowing the Chinese government even more freedom? to crack down on opposition and just burnish their image worldwide due to the responsibilities of hosting the games and how are they using
2: that? So something that was really interesting is that the, the Olympics has warranted China to take like intense security measures in the name of ensuring like the success of obviously this international sporting events because of like COVID. They want to make sure that all of their athletes are healthy and like everyone is able to kind of view this event as like a success for China and that's why they're taking the extreme measures but it's also been assumed that China has been taking like these measures and utilizing them to kind of like show their intolerance for criticism from athletes journalists and activists they've been taking a lot of like initiatives to follow activists by monitoring them and also like detaining them in their homes also like the widespread censorship has been placed on like all players social media accounts And it's also been said that Olympic athletes have been informed that any type of protest could basically result in prosecution. So it's just kind of coming to show that it could be assumed that even though China is taking these initiatives and like saying that it's for the success of the Olympics, it could also just be used for like, you know, cracking down on their opposition.
0: Yes, there's a lot to worry about right there. But I want to draw attention to a specific point that you put in there, Mariam, about technology of the athlete security and so is there a big threat to the athletes in your opinion whether that be physical safety or technologically fearing about what the chinese government may discover or uncover while they're in country uh chris
1: so yes that's actually been a very hot topic in the run up to the games many athletes are bringing burner phones to the games out of fear of data absorption and other forms of technological persecution matter of fact citizen lab which is a division of the monk school of global affairs at the university of toronto recently found that the my 2022 app the official obligatory app of the olympics for the participants have been found to be very to have a very faulty security and easily breach data it is also It also has built-in recognition for censorship for terms in not only Mandarin Chinese, but also English, Tibetan, Uyghur, and any relevant language to the drama behind China, political drama behind China hosting the games to censor sensitive terms.
0: So that is very much a present concern for the athletes and everything. I want to also take a little bit of a break from the Olympics and focus on what also has been a major focus coming into the games is the recent actions of the Chinese government, which is why there was a lot of criticism. And of course, as we've talked about earlier, opposition from different nations, human rights groups and activists. So what? Uh, how have the recent actions of the Chinese government affected its image leading up to the games?
2: So we've mostly talked about how like China is putting widespread censorship and one of their biggest controversies going into the Winter Olympics has to do with Peng Shui, who is a 35-year-old famed Chinese tennis player. She went on to a social media outlet that is kind of related to, it's like called a Chinese Twitter and it's called Weibo and she basically made an accusation against a very famed politician, accusing him of forcing her to have sexual relations with him and after posting such a shocking post The Chinese public obviously had an outcry because she has more than half a million followers on that social media platform. But she hasn't responded for like a a long period of time. And the public was getting very um, anxious or had a lot of anxiety about it. And they were kind of demanding to hear from her because they were saying that the Chinese government was kind of limiting her ability to reach out to her fans. And she later came out and said that it was All these allegations that she made were false and that they were taken in the wrong context. And it has taken such a long time for the public outcry to stop until Dao'i News came out with a like its own kind of article, just really like saying that these accusations were intently blown out of proportion. And it all had a kind of like negative context to it to just show like Chinese government and its officials in bad light.
0: Yes, that is a very disturbing incident, also because there is the international backlash has not stopped from that incident as well. The WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, I know, has canceled all further events or tournaments that they're holding in China. So really a, a major sports organization stepping up to the Chinese government and refusing to basically host any events there unless more light comes to the situation of what's really going on. Chris, do you have anything to add more on this topic? or Okay. So... Let's focus on specifically back on the leadership of the Chinese government. What would you say, both Miriam and Christopher, either of you can answer this, is the personal goals in hosting the Olympics for Chinese President Xi Jinping? We'll start with you, Chris.
1: Well, you can tell that this is definitely a solidification of China as a world power. One thing to notice is all of the world leaders that attended the opening ceremony in spite of the boycott. Obviously, we had President Vladimir Putin, who was... the the main guest, but also many of the leaders, both ceremonial and political, of the countries that are either in the Belt and Road Initiative or uh, somehow allied with China. Three examples of these are Imran Khan of Pakistan, uh, Alberto Fernandez of Argentina, and even President of Ecuador, Guillermo Lazo, who after the opening ceremony, one day after the opening ceremony, he signed a memorandum of understanding with the Chinese government concerning exports from his country to China, so we can see that this is this is a tool that the Xi administration is using to its political advantage in a way that many other previous games have not been. Okay.
0: What do you think about this, Mariam?
2: I think it's really interesting because he is, like you kind of see in like all the initiatives he's taken, not only in preparation of the event, um, that he's kind of utilizing it as a way to secure not only his role as a leader, but also to secure China's role as a respected global leader internationally. It can be assumed that like the games are kind of like a way for him to show that the government is very prepared in handling the coronavirus pandemic and is also like very well prepped in diplomacy because we know that China has taken in the past very authoritative methods in diplomacy. It can also be said that the president of China is also very well aware that the success of the Winter Olympics could help secure him and kind of like the trust of his people through an international scope. because So he can kind of look at it as a tactic to show globally that China is very well respected and is able to handle all this type of responsibilities when it has to do with preparation. So its people can also in turn feel that same sense of pride and also pride in their leader as well.
0: Yes, it would strengthen his domestic situation and his position as well. Chris, you wanted anything more to add on there?
1: Yes. Another detail that I believe that cannot be missed. Is the opening ceremony again, the selection of the final torchbearer? As many at home saw during that broadcast, the Olympic cauldron was lit by none other than a young Uyghur skier, cross country skier Dilnegar Ilamjang, or as the Chinese call her, Dilnegar Ilamjang. This is a show by the Chinese government that it is inclusive that it is welcoming, that it is doing everything it can to promote its, its diversity, does, even if the Western world does not necessarily believe these actions mm-hmm. at face level.
0: Yep. Interesting. I just, another question that I had was wondering is that how is this comparison, in both your opinions, comp- to the 2008 Beijing Olympics or the Summer Olympics? Why is this Olympics specifically different and why has this attracted much more attention?
2: Okay, so the 2008 Summer Olympics that was held in Beijing is very different from the Olympics that's being held right now because even though it had like widespread censorship and they were also um, monitoring activists and critics, authorities still like made it possible for reporters to come in and have like entry into majority of the nations and they also had specific allotted zones for protests and it even though it's assumed that this would usually happen if the coronavirus pandemic wasn't there, it's kind of assumed in another way through conspiracy theories that China is kind of taking this drastic measure, like is making the difference to take this drastic measure now because of the human rights violation. They want to avoid any sense of like addressing it.
0: And Chris?
1: Yes, back in the day, back in the day, even though this was only a couple, only a decade uh, ago, the Olympics, despite being this very political event, were not as political as they used to be. This was more these 2008 games were more about China opening up to the world as it was. So those 2008 games were awarded in 2001, the same year China joined the World Trade Organization at the time under the leadership of Hu Jintao. And China at the time was more preoccupied into opening up to the world in in making trade deals, in showing that it was a respectable leader. Today, under Xi Jinping, things have gotten a lot more brazen. The same goals, but a lot more brazen and a lot less worried about the image it is projecting.
0: Okay. So we don't have much time left, so I wanted to give you guys just a few few quick seconds to have any final thoughts that you may have on the topic itself on Beijing or the Olympics as this is going on. Any final thoughts? We can go to you first, Miriam.
2: I think obviously a lot of people have been taking the initiative to spread word of what exactly has been going on. And obviously everybody has like different opinions on whether it was right or wrong for the Olympics to be basically be held in Beijing. I think even though we all can't stop the hosting of it, it is still like all right to spread word and also try and boycott the Olympics by like limiting our purchasing of like the people who sponsor the Olympics for certain events. I mean, for certain countries. And yeah.
0: Christopher?
1: This proves, just one more time, how political the Olympics are, despite its framing as a neutral place where the world can get together in such divided times. Its whole concept of neutrality in sport is the reason why Beijing is even hosting the games in the first place, because if the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, being a neutral neutral entity, can't necessarily deny these games to China. We saw how children and teens were the ones mostly starring in the opening ceremony which can be a signal that China is going through some rejuvenation and trying to show an image of youth in line with its trying to break tradition both on and off the sporting pitch.
0: I think you make a good point, Christopher, about how the games have always involved at least a bit of politics. But I do think, as we close out the show here, to announce just one other fact is that U.S. figure skating has announced that 31-year-old American figure skater Timothy LeDuc is said to become the first openly non-binary athlete to compete in an Olympic Winter Games. And they will participate in the pairs event with their skating partner, Ashley Kane Gribble. So the Olympics is a place where politics are involved, but it also can be involved for great opportunity no matter the person's background or the nation that is hosting it. So this has been a great discussion, Christopher and Miriam. So thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you, Drew. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Joshua Pawanda. Hey Joshua. Hey, Drew,
3: how's it going? It's going good. So what headlines do you have for us this week? China has joined Russia in opposing NATO expansion. The U.S. State Department has backed the latest raft of Saudi, UAE, and Jordan arms sales. And there was an attempted coup in Guinea-Bissau leaving many dead. Those all sound very interesting. Let's start with the Chinese-Russian diplomatic meeting. Russian President Vladimir Putin has traveled to Beijing this week to meet with his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping on the heels of the Olympic Games and a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. Following the meeting between the two leaders, Moscow and Beijing issued a joint statement in opposition to further NATO expansion. This comes as the West asserts a more prominent role in exposing China's human rights abuses and Russia's illegal territorial ambitions in Europe. Not only does this meeting reaffirm the already growing Russo-Chinese ties, but also their shared desire to challenge American hegemony. Very interesting, Joshua. Now moving on to another region of the world, what did you say was happening in the Middle East? The U.S. State Department has approved of Syria's weapon sales to Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Jordan. The deal includes F-16 fighter jets, as well as upgraded missile defense systems, and comes at a point of heightened tensions in the region. In addition to a growing Iranian threat, the Houthis, a rebel group fighting in Yemen, have increased their attacks against the UAE and Saudi Arabia for their intervention in the Yemeni civil war. Another development to be aware of, for sure. And you mentioned Guinea-Bissau as well? Yep. The president of Guinea-Bissau, a small country in West Africa, has announced that he has survived an attempted coup. The attack occurred against President Umaro Siksuku Mbalo and his cabinet at the country's government palace. The attempt to oust the government in Guinea-Bissau is only the latest in a series of West African coups this past year. Coups have been seen in Mali, Burkina Faso, Guinea, and now Guinea-Bissau. Thank you very much for coming on, Joshua. Thanks for having me, Drew. Now that is all the time we have for today. Be
0: sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on our upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew, Executive Producer Jared Dang, Associate Producers Jasmine DeLeon and Hamza Khan, Technical Producer Andrew Akulia, and of course your host, Drew Starbuck. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM SOU. Until next time, thank you.